Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 76. Today we spoke to Ryan Hawke, host of the podcast The Learning Leader Show and author of Welcome to Management. We talk about the origins of the show, having now recorded over 350 episodes, having interviewed a who's who of all things learning, leadership and performance. We ask Ryan what he knows today after all those fascinating conversations. We discuss the value of reflection after having learned something new and why being an intentional leader is crucial for success. Ryan explains how he came to writing his new book, what was involved in that process. And finally, Ryan tells us how he measures success across his many endeavors and what we will see from him next. Thanks for coming on our show, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for coming on the show. Where are you joining us from? I'm joining you from Dayton, Ohio. How about you guys? We're joining you from Dublin, Ireland. It's, it's really special to be able to connect like this. Well, it's pretty, it's pretty cool when technology like this can uh, bring us together to have these types of conversations when we're on in different parts of the world. Yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to opening up a dialogue with you about learning, leadership, high performance. I mean, the Learning Leader Show is so well established. You've had well over 350 guests on your show to date. So, so we're curious as to kind of where did it all start for you? Yeah, it's a great question. So I... Um, after I got done playing football, I was working in the uh, business world. I had an inside sales job. I uh, went back to school to get my, a graduate degree, a uh, master's in business association. I'm sorry, business administration. And um, after I finished, and my company paid for that, and after I finished getting my MBA, um, I considered going back to school once again. Um, the only issue of that was, uh, though, the fact that I didn't love the full curriculum of uh, furthering my education in a formal setting at a university. And so um, I thought, is there a better way? Is there a better way for me to learn about what I'm most curious about, which was building teams, leading teams, leading people, building culture, uh, helping people people perform at the highest possible level, um, and then pushing even past that? And uh, I was a big uh, podcast listener at the time, people like Joe Rogan and Bill Simmons. I was listening to their early podcast before really the boom hit. And I thought, uh, and a, f- a few friends uh, and I talked about, th- about what if instead of me going back to school, I could begin my own form of a leadership PhD program. The only difference was I got to choose all of my professors and I could learn from them by speaking directly to them, asking them the questions that I was most curious about. And perhaps if I do a good job, then others could, could, would want to listen and could learn along with me. And so that's how the Learning Leader Show got started more than five years ago, was out of just following my, 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 my curiosity and obsessions with great rigor. And it's, it led me to, to where I am now. So having been part of that uh, University of Hawk, that kind of prestigious, illustrious D1 program, 
Um, what, what do you know now after all those interesting conversations? I mean, what are the big rocks for you? Wow. Uh, well, that could take a while. But I would say, uh, I guess a, a few things was, I think I, I rethought what, what it meant, what leadership is really all about. I think my initial impressions were that the, the, the leader sits at the top, um, almost has like a dictator style to them. They have the most charisma. Uh, they, they walk into the room and own it. And, and what I found after more than 375 of these conversations is actually leaders come in all shapes and sizes from all different backgrounds, uh, introvert, extrovert, all over the map. Um, but really the ones that are that that seem to perform at the highest levels have two common qualities or traits about them is first they are very thoughtful on a daily basis they are reflecting and thinking and trying to understand and and uh, experiment with better ways to get things done better ways to support people to help others to help them perform at levels that they didn't think they were even possible um, and two they're very intentional with their actions and their behaviors they uh, don't just haphazardly wander through life they act with intention that 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 is preceded by thought um, and then when they go, they go 100%. They're all in. They're working extremely hard. And um, I didn't fully realize just how much thought and intention went into what it meant to be a great leader. And I think I've picked that up over the past five plus years. And you've spoken to some awe-inspiring individuals from your show and throughout your life. Who have inspired you most? Wow, I mean, I, I feel very lucky because there's so many. I, I think one of the one of the most, if, if you want me to speak recently, interesting was was uh, Admiral William McRaven. Um, he is uh, admiral in our United States military. Uh, was in charge of a number of incredibly important missions, including the one that eventually killed Osama bin Laden. Um, and just the way that not only that he spoke and shared the stories and his framework for leadership, but also speaking to so many others in that world, that military space that that just revere him as a person, him as a leader, the way in which he operates, that he cares for others, his the thought that he puts into each and every mission, each and every person. I, I found that that, that conversation sticks out to me and, and seems to with others who have listened to it because of uh, the, the, the way that he has behaved in the midst of, of strong adversity. And Ryan, given what you've learned from the Admiral and others, how does the everyday person become more intentional and thoughtful in their actions? Well, I think first and foremost is realizing the importance of those or at least believing how important it is to block time on a daily basis to think, to reflect, to read, to learn from wise mentors who have come before you, to speak with others with an open mind, to not immediately believe that you have it all figured out. Like that's a mindset shift for some people. We've probably all worked for bosses or been around others who believe that they've got it all figured out. Um, and so it's, it's one approaching each conversation with a curious mind, approaching each person as the fact that they could become a mentor or they are a mentor for you. I think that's, that's really important for all people to think about because 
believing that you've got it all figured out is the quickest way to, I think, find yourself in bad situations. And then when it comes to intentionality, it's that setting a plan in place to take action for one of the ways I do this is have an experimenter's mindset. So if let's, let's, for example, let's say I learned something from a mentor and, and for this example, let's say that mentor is teaching me how to better run meetings because that seems to be a problem for leadership teams. And that mentor has taught me specific ways to open a meeting, to, to, to keep a meeting on track through the middle, and then how to close a meeting to set up proper channels for people to take responsibility for actions that will be taken after the meeting or for decisions that we're going to make during that meeting. Let's say I learned that from a mentor. Well, the process then is to immediately experiment with what I've learned to figure out what works best for me, what I can change, what I should improve, and put it into play. And then afterwards, analyze that, have a stage of reflection to say, oh, I learned this, I tried this, I reflected on this. Now let's let's think about what worked so I'll keep doing it and what didn't so I'll stop doing it. And then just have that be a continuous cycle that never stops uh, of learning, experimenting, and reflecting and figuring out what works best for you based on your personality and your style. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, personable but also relevant. It's so undervalued, really underestimated, the importance of reflection. You know, learnings recently distilled Sometimes you just get lost in the abyss. So I suppose, Ryan, leaders are intentional from the get-go. So, so what does your morning routine look like? So given my family situation, uh, I do need to be pretty intentional about my mornings. We, my wife and I are raising five daughters. Um, and so our house, when everybody uh, wakes up, can be, as you can imagine, chaotic. So for me, I have to block out time. Yes, I have to block out time early morning um, when nobody else is awake in order to be on my own. So I wake up quite early uh, in the morning in order to carve out that time for myself. And then typically that's followed by um, a combination of hydrating, so drinking water, uh, stretching. I love the stretch to, to feel limber uh, as I get going, um, reading, journaling, and then uh, working out. Um, and then working out is, is typically uh, the end of the workout. Uh, I either go for a long walk after it's over, or I will go on the elliptical uh, machine and read. And that's how I cool down for about 30 minutes. And so that is, uh, once I get all of that done, then I'm able to to, to, to join my family as they're waking up and and uh, be with them for the early uh, hours while they may be having breakfast um, and then uh, maybe drop our youngest off at uh, her preschool and then get get on with the day and that's that's typically how my mornings work and and I've I've you know my wife and I we've both developed those routines and they seem to work well for us yeah I feel for you I mean five is a lot I, mean, I have a toddler and, and he can be full on. Um, so look, you say you find time to read on your elliptical. We were recently told that not everyone can write a book, but if you're going to, so you have to pick the one that makes sense for you and that that's the book you can write about. You've just recently published Welcome to Management. What made that the book for you to write? Sure. So in, co- in conversation with, with mentors of mine, as well as... Uh, my publisher and my literary agent. Um, this was a, a specific moment in my career where I really fumbled, I really struggled, and I think it's common. Um, you get 
you, you work really hard as an individual contributor uh, because in my case, I worked in the profession of selling because I performed at a high level as an individual seller that gave me the opportunity to interview for the job. And in the interview process, I was able to, to earn the role with, with that said, uh, there isn't much that prepared me to actually be the manager of a team for the first time. I mean, I led as a quarterback on the football field, and there is, there are some aspects to leadership that that translated, but not much. And so, I really had no idea what I was doing, and unfortunately, I made a number of mistakes. That uh, my goal and the purpose of writing the book was to help other people not make the same mistakes I had. I sat down and said. What is the book that I wish I had when I first got promoted? I'm going to write that particular book. And so that's why I narrowed down and focused on that topic. The cool part is seeing that there are some 20-year CEO experience type leaders saying, I know that was your core uh, target demographic for that, but this applies to to me. This applies to us who've been around for many years in leadership positions much higher than just a frontline manager. So it's nice that there's a secondary audience for that as well, but it's really focused for that person who's who's making that leap for the first time. You mentioned writing the book to help people avoid making mistakes. I'm interested, has there been any mistakes that have helped shape your career and your path? Well, I think every, all of our experience, like we are the sum of our experiences. So certainly there are, there are many mistakes. I mean, uh, I, I, I vividly remember that, that first week when I was a manager, um, thinking, uh, oh, I, I, I think I know how to do this. I've got this all figured out. And then, a a, a young woman in her, in her mid forties walks into my office. She's crying. She looks at me and says, Ryan, my husband cheated on me and he wants a divorce what should I do? Uh, I'm in my twenties. She has kids. Uh, I, I had no idea what to do. And I tried to be a good listener, but probably wasn't very good and not very helpful in that moment. I immediately called my dad after that and saying, what in the world is going on? Why would somebody do this? Why would they tell me this? Um, and he said, dude, it's not all about you. Uh, everybody has their own style and way that they operate and what they're willing to talk to their boss about. And just because you may not talk to your boss about something that personal doesn't mean others won't. And so what I learned was to be a more empathetic and compassionate person. I learned awareness of self as well as others. I learned to put myself in the shoes of other people and not be so self-centered. And I think that is that is why becoming a manager and and, and and striving for roles like that are really good because it can actually make you a better person in general because it makes you think about other people. And I think we'd all be better if we regularly put ourselves in the, from the, uh, in the other person's shoes, if we were regularly felt what it's like to, to have the perspective of somebody else, uh, to realize what they're going through, to realize what their life is like. I think being in management when you have a team of 17 people you're forced to do that if you care at all about doing a good job. And so I think that's why, in a way, it'll make you a better spouse. It'll make you a better parent um, when you're when you're living uh, uh, with a job like that on a daily basis. Yeah, and just to build off that a little bit more, for, for those aspiring performers aiming to climb the corporate and sports ladders that perhaps face roadblocks or adversity towards that ladder of excellence, 
What advice would you give them? Well, first, um, leadership is a distinctive choice. So if that's something that you want to do, think about everything that entails and think about if you want to make the definitive choice to be a leader. Uh, my friend Pat Lencioni talks about the responsibility in the pain that comes from leadership because once you put yourself in that position or you, you take responsibility for that role, you now are responsible for the success of the people that, that report to you, for the success of the people that you are serving. And so think about, do I actually want that? Is that something that uh, I want to make the distinctive choice to do? Because if you don't, that's okay. That's okay. But think about that prior to going into it. Cause we've seen uh, a number of, of stories of people who they, they want it because they feel like it's the natural progression or they want it because it's the only way to be promoted within companies, which is a whole nother story that, that needs to be fixed. Um, but they want it for those reasons and then they get it and they realize this is terrible. I don't want this. You know, I had a good setup before and now this is brutal. And so I think that's something for people is to actually think about that. Speak with mentors, try to role play or get experiences in that job. Um, that's one thing I try to do with people who reported to me when when they were when they told me they wanted to be a manager, I would do mock scenarios where I would put them in coaching situations where they had to be critical of a peer or somebody from a coaching setting because that's what coaches do. And sometimes they wouldn't like that and they wouldn't, sometimes they wouldn't like it so much that they would say, I don't want to do this. Um, and I'd say, great, we'd, I'd rather learn that now than learn it after you've already been promoted and you're in charge of a team. So I think those are some things to think about as you're looking to navigate throughout the course of your career. Hey folks, thanks for listening to the first part of the episode. We hope you're getting some value from it. What we're going to do now is hear from a former guest on the show, Jalen Wolf. Jalen joined us on episode 23, and Jalen's going to tell us what she does. Hey guys, I'm Jalen Wolf, a nutritional therapy practitioner. I work with all types of clients who are interested in increased performance and overall improvements in their health and well being. I take a food first approach to healing yourself from the inside out and to helping you be the best and healthiest version of yourself possible. You can find more about what I do at alchemyandiron.com or by finding me on Instagram at, at Jalen Wolf. Leadership is not for everyone. I mean, it's fair to say it's a choice. It's a great point, Ryan. Maybe it's not the right fit for someone in theory and in practice. Can you perhaps share a story of an unexpected display of leadership that perhaps you had in the learning leader show or even experientially in your own workspace? Um, you, you know what is interesting one? I, I spoke with John Maxwell, and uh, I'm not sure how uh, well – is Maxwell really well-known over where you guys are or no? He might not be a household name, but we've heard of him, all right? Okay. So, yeah, he's probably got he, – he's in the leadership space in the state – here in the States, he's, he's, he's one of the main guys, and he's been around for – 50 years uh, doing it. So I've written a ton of books, really, really good. But one of the things that stood out to me, because he's in his 70s now, he's made a ton of money. He could easily just retire and play golf and live, live, live a very easy life. And he, and he said to me, though, um, he talked about his, his mission from a leadership perspective is he feels this responsibility to help people to serve them to be there for them. And I asked him about like relaxing or taking vacations on the beach. And he said, look, nobody ever wanted to follow me when I was sitting my butt in the sand. 
if you want people to follow you, you got to move. That's why I'm always moving. And he meant that both literally and figuratively, always working on something new, whether it's another book, a new keynote speech, a new course to teach, uh, building up his own internal team to help more people. And, I, and that really spoke to me, uh, the fact that leaders move. Leaders are, uh, it's, it's a verb. You are taking action. You are striving to help somebody. And it doesn't mean we don't um, relax or celebrate from time to time. But for the most part, we are on the move. And I think about like any leader in general, whether it's a, a military one or a coach or a CEO of a company that, and that, that makes sense. They are in motion. They're building something. They're growing themselves. They're growing their team. They are, they are moving. And I think that's something for all of us to think about is, Am I moving on a regular basis? Am, am I taking action? Am I trying stuff? Am I pushing the boundaries of my current zone of competence and comfort? Thinking about that uh, really helps me as someone who's a little bit earlier in the game than somebody like John Maxwell in his 70s uh, to somebody like me in my 30s. Like That's something for me to, to regularly think about. So you're in your 30s, you've got the podcast, you just released a fantastic new book, Welcome to Management, which is receiving great reviews. What's keeping you moving at the moment, Ryan? So um, I, you know, one of the things that I really love, and David knows about this, but so I've been been fortunate to build these small groups called my Learning Leader Circle, and that th those groups really motivate, inspire me because. Th they are a group of growth-oriented individuals who want to come together to help each other. And my job is to pull the genius out of each of them to help them all become multipliers, to not only help the other members of the group, but to help themselves, to help their families, and to help their, the people that they work with. And so seeing those people grow, the ones that are closest to me um, in, in those groups, is is so impactful to me so that's something i'm really doubling down on because i i just value the work i value the people i value the the results that come from it for each of the people that um raise their hand and invest in themselves to be a part of those groups so i'd say that's the biggest aspect of what i'm i'm doubling down on right now when it comes to my actions my movements is is on on my my uh my small groups and Ryan, with all those interesting and stimulating projects, you know, the book, the pod, the academy, the circle, how do you measure success for each of them or, or even for yourself? Yeah, so that's different for each one. So from, from, a, from a book perspective, you could set sales numbers, which I have not. Um, I mean, I basically just want it to be a profitable book for my publisher. Um, but I also measure that based upon emails I receive that talk about the actual results that, that a company or a team has gotten because my book has helped propel them or be the catalyst to make that happen. So that's one way that's kind of subjective. Um, I would say, uh, from the podcast, I just care about growth. I want it to continue to grow. Podcasts don't really go viral unless it's serial or something like that, but I just want to see steady growth in it, which fortunately it has for the past five years. And when it comes to our groups, I look at the actual results of each member in my leadership circle. So what that may look like to one is different to another. So let's say one person said, my goal is to get promoted to a management job, right? So that would be a definition of success if I and the group has helped that person get promoted. Let's say another one is they need to be better at home or they need they, they need to improve 
in some way their relationship as well as how that impacts their relationships at work, right? A little bit more subjective, but they can look back to say, okay, I've improved. The people in my life have noticed improvements in my actions as a spouse, as a manager, as a leader. And that's another way. Another for like a business owner, which I had business owners in my groups, theirs literally is my revenue was at X and now it's at X plus, you know, a hundred, whatever made up numbers. So, uh, and I work with one-on-one with, with, with executives and businesses too. And and that is my primary way of measuring that is, is your business achieving the results that you want? Because if the leader is aligned properly doing what they're supposed to be doing, then their business should grow and, uh, or at least achieve the, the, the expectations that they are setting. And so my, my goal is always to exceed or help them exceed whatever expectations they've set for their business. And that's how I would measure success in the areas in which I work. That's excellent, Ryan. It's fair to say that you're a mentor for many. I have two questions that stem from that. How important is mentorship? And secondly, who's been the mentors in your life? I mean, I don't know how, if any of this is possible without mentorship, Um, both real and virtual. And what I mean by that is, so the virtual mentors are the books you read, the podcast you listen to, and these people you may never meet, rather you watch keynotes on YouTube, whatever it may be. So I think it's important to have those virtual mentors. And I certainly have a lot of them. Fortunately for me, I've had the great fortune to be able to talk to a number of them and record podcasts with them. Um, Actual mentors that I regularly meet with um, have been critical to my success. I've been very lucky on the fact that my parents were the first two best mentors a person could ever have, and I still have them and and lean on them uh, quite frequently on all on a variety of topics, whether it's a a marriage, a parenting, a career. Uh, My dad and I talk a lot about that, even crafting uh, an email. You know, he'll look over those things, like how to open a speech. Um, have, so I'd say first and foremost, my parents, but then I've been lucky to play for incredible coaches, uh, had a few really great bosses that I can still talk to and lean on on a regular basis. And so without those mentors, those people to tell me, yes, this is good. No, you should fix this. Or, hey, let me show you a few examples of what I've done. You, you're welcome to borrow um, or, or take it and make it your own. Uh, without that, I don't I would be significantly behind the, the place where I am right now without those people who come before me and, and still continually help me out. Cheers. Now, Ryan, let's just flip it for a minute. I suppose we've touched on where you are, where you were, and where you're going to be. What was your first memory of leadership? Well, I, I mean, it, that definitely starts with my parents. And one of the things um, they get asked at times for parental advice because they had a couple kids go to college and get scholarships to play sports and one play professionally and win a Super Bowl. And so they my they normally go to my dad, but they ask him, like, what do you do? And one of the things he said that, as I think back, really, really resonates and makes sense is he says, you got to show up. Your presence is required, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. Your presence is required. You have to be there. And that's something my parents have always been. My dad had a very um, strenuous job. He was leading 1,000-person sales forces for decades. He'd work 12-hour days, get up very early, work, travel. But when he got home with us, it was it was like he didn't even have a job. His only job was being with us. So whether he's rebounding when we're shooting free throws, passing football with us in the backyard, taking us to the batting cages to hit 
uh, baseballs. Uh, those things were, were just uh, like they became, we, we took them for granted. We just thought that's just how it is. And, and that's not just how it is for a lot of kids. And then I, I, and so I take that same type of thought when it comes to leadership is one, you got to show up. And two, I think of two of my high school football coaches, Ron Ollery and Bob Gregg, and what they both have done for me is lifted me to levels that I did not think I was capable of. And they both taught me how to work. They built a true work ethic. They built resilience. They, they pushed us to, to, to get past adversity and tough moments. And, and, and so the, our preparation was so challenging. It was, it was, it was uh, based on a lot of military leaders, which our coaches were big uh, readers and fans of, of, of what our United States military had did to prepare people for war and, and, and put us through similar type workouts leading up to our games. And so by the time the games rolled around, they were easier than our practice. And, and that has always spoke to me when it comes to preparation is that's what leadership was. I mean, those guys taught me how to prepare. They taught me that, that preparation can be a medicine for any type of fear. And so when I got out on the field on Friday nights, I felt invincible. Uh, and that was because of our preparation. Um, and we had done it as a team together. And so I've, I've drawn from that. I've taken from that to say, okay, I have a big keynote speech in front of a thousand people coming up. Well, how do I handle situations that are daunting, that are scary? Well, my preparation needs to be impeccable. I remember I learned that from Bob Gregg and Ron Ollery. And so that's what I'm going to institute in this moment when I'm a little bit scared and I got to show up. I got to be, I got to be great. I got to do an excellent job for the people that I'm speaking with to try to help them out. So let's prepare like crazy. And I learned that fortunately, like I said, at an early age when I was in eighth grade going into my freshman season in high school. And I'm always mindful of being a leader to my son, teaching, you know, doing the right things. Uh, what traits do you try to display and instill in your family? When it, when it comes to that, I, I think it's first and foremost just about being a good person. So, for example, our report cards came out recently, and I'm very intentional with how I look at the report cards, and they know this by now, which I first look in ours, the most recent one. It's in the upper left-hand corner, and that is the teacher's comments where the teacher will write a paragraph about our child to say, you know, she, she is well-behaved, she's courteous, she's kind, she asks questions, she, she's, she's a good kid, you know, those types of things that I always look there first. We focus on that. We talk about that the longest. We, we're, we're, we're focused first and foremost on being a good person, on making good choices, on being kind to others, on being helpful, on being curious, Right. All those things are far more important than whatever the grades. And then we'll look at the grades and we'll talk about them a very little bit. But then I'll focus right back on their actions, their behavior, because I care most about that. Um, certainly the grades you, 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 you need to put in the work in order to earn the grades. But I care more about developing them, developing them into good people. But first and foremost, I have to model that behavior if I if I want them or I expect them to behave in that manner. So when we're out to eat, we treat the waiter with respect. When we see people, we treat them with respect. With respect, we're 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 kind. We're we're curious. We don't speak negatively behind people's backs in our house. That's not something we do. We only speak positively behind other people's backs. We believe in spreading positive gossip, not negative gossip like most do. And so what that looks like is mentioning a friend or a colleague or other people and only saying kind things about them when they're not in the room. So they never get the excuse because we, we've all seen those places where parents will will complain about 
other things or other people in front of their kids. And then their kids believe that's just the way we operate or they complain about their jobs or their boss or things like that. That's something we just will not do. Um, because if we do it, then what do you expect them to do? They're going to think this is the way it is. We complain about people. We speak negatively about others. Instead, we like to speak positively about other people. We like to say great things about our boss or about our places of work. If we have something to complain about, my wife and I will do that one-on-one behind doors without anyone else around. Um, but we try to still limit that even when it's just us, um, because we, we believe in having an attitude of being grateful for what we have and, and saying that out loud, um, and complimenting people being kind. Uh, and that's really important to us. And so as parents, we have to first model that if we want them to behave in that manner. Yeah, well, it certainly sounds like the Hawk family are a great team. Then in a business sense, Ryan, how important is it for a leader or a manager to understand the people that make up their team? Well, I mean, the who is a big part of of teams. And so I think it's always a useful exercise to analyze the people who are on your team um, to speak with them one-on-one, to understand their motivations, their expectations, what they want out of the job, why they're doing that job, and to get a feel if that person belongs on the team. Because maybe they don't, and maybe they don't want to be, and maybe you can help them find another better fit for them based upon their why and based upon what they want to do. That's okay. I think part of a good leader's job is to help people find a better place or a better position Um, if that's what they want or if that's what's needed based upon their actions and their behaviors. So leadership is not for the faint of heart. Leadership is not easy. Putting yourself in a management position is tough. Sometimes you have to fire people. Sometimes you have to make tough calls that you may be wrong. You may have 60% of the necessary information in order to make a decision, yet you have to be decisive and make the call. That's why it's not for everyone. And I, and so for me, it's just getting to know people as best as you can and then making the call as if, can we help this person? Can we help them be a better fit? Can we help them get into a better position to pull their way to do the necessary job? Or do we have to make a change? And, and that's the, the least fun part about leading a team is when you have to make those changes to let somebody go. But if you do it long enough, it is absolutely part of the job. And, and, and if you can't do that or you're not willing to do that, then you should not put yourself in a leadership position. Mr. Hawk, we've seen plenty from you over the last couple of years. I suppose the big question is, what's next? <laughs> so I plan in very short increments um, and don't think that far ahead. Uh, what I intend to continue to do or what I intend to do moving forward is I'm regularly writing. I would imagine that will turn into some form of a book. Um, I'm regularly teaching online. So in the form of the Learning Leader Academy, which is my online learning platform that I built over the past year, we have a number of students from all over the world and that, which is a combination of self-paced learning as well as live calls. Um, I have my learning leader circles, which I will continue to do because it's some of the most rewarding work in the world where that's my small groups that we get together and speak about difficult challenges as well as successes in ways that we and and what we can learn from each other because there's a power in small groups. There's power in community. There's power in learning from the genius of others. 
Um, and then I will, I, I don't have any intention to ever slow down when it comes to my podcast. In fact, I'm doing the opposite of having more of these conversations, actually putting them on video now. So uh, I have no video presence currently, but uh, I intend to change that in addition to the audio presence that's been built up over the past five plus years and just have deep one-on-one -on -one conversations with leaders that I'm fascinated by and, and, and for me to improve as a conversationalist and an interviewer to make those be get better and better and better. And, uh, uh, and, and that, that, that really is a, a pretty cool way to do life. Uh, and I feel very fortunate, um, to have people, um, uh, business supporters as well as my family, uh, to do that. And, uh, so I intend to continue to do that. And then also always have an exper experimental mindset so that when an idea comes, um, perhaps a partnership or a collaboration or just something new altogether on my own, I'm willing to do it and try it, even if, you know, it doesn't work um, and being and not being afraid to look stupid or be embarrassed. You kind of have to every once in a while. If not, then you're probably not trying hard enough. And so I'll continue to continue to have that mindset as well and, and, and see what happens. And as a leader, I suppose, as a former quarterback in American football, do you have a philosophy or, or a mantra that you live by? Yeah, I mean, I, I've learned it on my show, but it's it's that I've never arrived. I'm always becoming. I mean, that was from JJ Reddick, and I I I have that mentality towards everything I do. No matter what happens, um, I will continue striving to improve, to grow, to get better, to be there for the community that's been built over the past five plus years, to support them. Um, to be a guide, to be a teacher, to be a learner, to be a facilitator, uh, but but never think that I've got it all figured out because I know I never will. But I'm always going to strive to learn and grow, um, and and become as as JJ might say. Ryan, you've given us some fantastic insights today. Really important lessons. It brings us on nicely to the signature question of the show, Sleepy Perform Repeat, where we like to ask our guests. What does high performance mean to you? So high performance means to me is continuous growth, improvement, um, uh, an upward trajectory of always getting better, um, of someone who is, is never really sitting still, um, that when if you talk to me a year from now, I should be in a significantly better place than I am today when it comes to my knowledge base, when it comes to the number of experiments I've run, when it comes to uh, my performance uh, in general, is that it's always getting just a little bit better uh, day after day after day. And uh, thinking in that regard, um, is motivating to me uh, uh, because I know I have to build the habits, routines, and rituals in order to make that happen. And, and I, I love that. I, it's not easy. It's hard. Um, and I love that part too. Um, I, th I think that aspect of it is what makes it fun for me. Ryan, for myself and Kieran here in Ireland, we'd just like to say thanks very much for giving us your time today. We're very grateful to have been able to speak to you and tap into so much to learn from you. So wishing all the best. Stay fit, stay healthy, and talk to you soon. Thanks so much, David. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, cheers, Ryan. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. 
Some wish it would happen, others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan. 